One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. This is, of course, one of two podcasts available to you today, out now, if you haven't already listened. There is a Premier League preview podcast. I guess you could sort of categorize it as that, but it... uh, it, it operates in some broad strokes with Ken Early from Second Captains. That is also available to you right now in your podcast feed, wherever you get podcasts. This one, however, is fully focused on Arsenal. We're looking ahead to the new Premier League season, assessing the business who did in the summer transfer window, looking at the various positions in the squad from goalkeeper through to attack and talking about how strong we are, where we might need to add something if we need to add anything, as well as assessing some of the challenges that we might face in the new season. And we're just going to get on with it. And with me to do that from Football London, it's Kaya Kainak. Hi, Kaya. Hey, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Let's just begin. We're going to talk about, obviously, the, the summer that Arsenal have had, the uh, the signings we've made, the, the strength of the squad or, or, or otherwise. Uh, we'll talk about all those things. But I suppose this morning we should talk a little bit about... David Raya and his arrival is something we've got used to over the last couple of days but the structure of the deal I think is quite interesting um he's coming on loan from Brentford Arsenal will have an option to make that deal permanent I suspect it's an option they are planning to take regardless of what happens but on the face of it you know it, it looks like a really really good deal for Arsenal they get a good goalkeeper they've got real depth in that position if he does well this season you take the option, everyone's happy, hunky-dory. Maybe Aaron Ramsdale's not that happy, but you know what I mean? From a football perspective, everyone's relatively happy. If it doesn't go that well, you know, maybe you can walk away. And uh, he signed an extension at Brentford, which gives them a bit of protection in terms of his future. How do you view that deal? Because um, it, it did come as a bit of a surprise because there was talk of like 27, 30 million pounds being on the table uh, in a straight-up uh, purchase option from Arsenal. Yeah, I, I think maybe it was a case of um, some slight misunderstanding going on in terms of when the 30 million deal was agreed. I think sort of maybe people misunderstood um, the nature of it. But I think if it does turn out to be the way we've, we've just been discussing the deal there in terms of Arsenal having that three million pound option and then potentially going on to, to do the 27 million pounds afterwards, um, it's pretty brilliant business, um, especially when you consider that Matt Turner left on Wednesday for a fee that could rise to 10 million. You're essentially upgrading your backup goalkeeper spot. If it is, a, if you can call it a backup goalkeeper spot, I'm mm. sure we'll come on a bit more into sort of the competition between the two, but essentially for a, a 20 million pound net fee, you're improving the, the goalkeeping position and bringing in David Raya, who, you know, with all due respect to Matt Turner is, is a much better option and uh, much more accomplished and fits into the, the playing style that Mikel Arteta clearly wants to implement at Arsenal. And, I think it's a, a really good piece of business. I've spoken to people at the club who've compared it to, um, uh, I guess, the Martin Erdegaard deal, 
and the way that Arsenal sort of tried before they bought in that sense. Tried before you buy, it doesn't work. Get your tenses mixed um, up, yeah. (laughs) They basically, they they want to have a proper look at Ryan. I think, as you were saying before, it does seem at this point, at least highly likely that the deal will become permanent next summer when the the loan expires, but Arsenal are in a position where they don't have to necessarily buy it, buy Raya, sorry. So it's, it's a smart move. Um, it's a smart way of, of improving a position um, without necessarily having to, I guess, put too much more financial burden on a club that has already spent quite a lot of money this summer and a club that in terms of sales is while they're still, you know, deals to follow and Balogun still in the works and plenty of other players, they've maybe not brought in as much as I don't know they would have been hoping to at this stage. I don't know if that's maybe a bit unfair, but in terms of the sales, the only significant outgoing so far has been Granite Xhaka and then Austin Trusty and Pablo Marie have obviously left and a few loan deals have, have gone. But um, yeah, it's it's smart business from Arsenal. Um, it's hard to, to view it as anything other than that right now. And it improves the squad for, as I was saying, a, a net price, which is, I think, when you look at the quality of player that David Dreyer is, a, a really good one. I mean, it, it does feel a little bit like they are... I mean, look, fair play... To, in convincing Brentford that this was a deal that that worked for Brentford because it it feels like it's one that really really works for Arsenal because they're kicking the 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 vast majority of this financial burden down the line you know maybe you can uh, if you do the right deal on a permanent basis you put it into a new accounting period and you know it all makes a bit more financial sense in that regard but you know, it's hard to convince another club that, you know, to do something that's basically in your best interest as a football club. They would have been saying, well, look, they wanted 40 million for for David Rye at one point in this summer. And there were clubs interested. Bayern were interested. Tottenham were interested. Chelsea were interested. None of them at that price, of course, which then, you know, weakens your hand a little bit. But, you know, Arsenal are operating at a significant financial deficit this summer. You mentioned the deals that have been done, Shaka, Trusty, Turner, um, Pablo Marie. There are potential deals still to be done, but what Arsenal have spent this summer and what they spent in January and what they spent last summer without really bringing very much in demands you know, incoming business is done to sort of not balance the books, but at least offset some of that financial burden. And I'm sure that, you know, during the US tour, you had a chance to speak to people out there as uh, as I did. And and why part of this Raya deal is a bit of a surprise is that, you know, what we were told, I'm, guess, uh, I'm guessing, is the same thing, that the focus was very, very much on trimming the squad getting players out, getting some money in, and then maybe towards the end of the window, having another look at what the market is uh, presenting, what opportunities might be out there. Yeah, I think that is the case. But I, I think with this particular position, with the goalkeeping position, when the obviously interest in Nottingham Forest came in for Matt Turner, Arsenal couldn't go into the season um, with just uh, Aaron Ramsdale as their goalkeeper, obviously Carl Hines in the squad, but hasn't been, um, I guess, the most convincing in the limited appearances he's had. So they couldn't go into it um, with that. And I, I wonder if there was a degree of opportunism where David Raya surprisingly hadn't gone to any of the clubs you'd mentioned. He had obviously had interest from lots of teams, um, but none of them had materialised. And they were starting to think, well, you know, maybe this is something that we could start to to think about going forwards. And uh, obviously, David Raya is a long-term target for Arsenal. It worked with Inaki Kanya back at Brentford, was someone Arsenal were targeting when they went for for Runnison. You know, we all wonder how different things might have been if Arsenal had gone for Raya in the first place instead of Runnison. But um, when that deal 
was sort of available, if you like, to do. And Matt Turner deal was obviously in the works as well. It, it seemed to make a lot of sense. And like we say, the way it's worked out financially, it seems to make a lot of sense as well. I think also, given that it's happened this late in the window, uh, it did give Arsenal quite a significant hand when it came to negotiations. So obviously, mm. Brentford didn't want to lose him for free. He's a player who is um, a high value a high ticket sale for them, a high value player for them. And they wouldn't have wanted to lose him for nothing. So obviously the deals for Spurs and, and Bayern hadn't quite worked out. And um, Arsenal went into it knowing that maybe they could sort of try and negotiate Brentford down a little bit more. And that seems to have played to their advantage in terms of Brentford maybe having to accept a deal that on paper doesn't quite look as, as good as it could be for them right now. Obviously they'll potentially get the money in the long run, but I think it certainly significantly strengthened Arsenal's negotiating hand that they could go into this deal saying, look, we know you've only got 12 months of this player. You've already signed your replacement for him. Mm. He's not been in your squad pretty much all the preseason. He wants to leave. You want to sell him. Here's our offer. Take it or leave it kind of thing. And mm. Brentford seemed to have, have taken it. And um, it's worked out pretty well for Arsenal. And yeah, a, a good piece of business, I think, overall. Yeah, I mean, we, we are going to go through the various areas of the, the team and assess the strength of the squad. And, and I suppose while we're here, while we're talking about this, it's a good time to, to maybe discuss that. I do think there are, you know, some longer-term implications for Arsenal when you've got two number one goalkeepers. And it's a situation that, in the long term, feels basically untenable because somebody is going to lose out and you've got to make a decision and, and all that kind of stuff. But in the very short term, you know, the season ahead is going to be long. There's going to be a lot of football. There's Champions League football. There are the cup competitions, 38 Premier League games. I would be the first to acknowledge that I, you know, harbored some worries if Aaron Ramsdale got an injury. Would Matt Turner have been stylistically the right kind of fit for 10, 12, 15 Premier League games if something like that happened? And I'm not sure, given his, um, you know, his strengths and weaknesses and, and his ability on the ball versus Ramsdale and Raya, that it would have been. And in that sense, I feel a lot more comfortable going into the new season with someone like Raya, who's going to start, I guess, the season as as backup to Aaron Ramsdale. It's Aaron Ramsdale's shirt to lose. We know from everything he says and the way he speaks that he is going to fight and will fight and has always fought for everything he's got in football. So it's not going to be easy for David Raya by any means. But when you think about it over the course of this season, it is probably as strong as you could ever hope for. You have that redundancy. You have that backup. You have that ability, if a player loses form, to make a change that you're not as concerned about as you might be with, as you say, with all due respect to Matt Turner, with him as your number two goalkeeper, you've basically got a pair of number ones who are going to scrap it out. And if you can, if you can make that healthy, and I'm not sure that's, you know, as easy uh, easy said as done, but if you can make that healthy, the winner will be the football team. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal have brought in, you know, arguably as their number two goalkeeper this summer, a player that Bayern Munich wanted to replace Manuel Neuer. That is a position of considerable strength to be in. That is a position where I don't think I can think of any club in the world who has two goalkeepers 
as good. I, can't, I don't know if Kayla Navas is still at PSG. Maybe you could argue Navas and, and Donnarumma, but even that didn't really work in the long run. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples where there have been two number ones that have sort of worked. Barcelona did it a bit with Claudio Bravo and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, but obviously mm. Bravo went to City and, and that didn't really work out. Arsenal have even done it a bit in the past with Petr Cech, Bern Leno, uh, Petr Cech, um, David Ospina David Ospina Wojciech Szczesny David Ospina um, Szczesny you know, Fabianski yeah, yeah I mean. loads of them loads of them um, even going back as far as Lehman Almunia if you like and there's there's always been um, competition among the goalkeeping position and I don't think you're alone in sharing those sentiments when it comes to Matt Turner um, in terms of not that he's a bad goalkeeper by any stretch of the imagination I think everyone no. respects him. He's, a, he's a very good player a very good shot stopper but stylistically um let's say if, if hypothetically something had happened to Aaron Ramsdale for 10 games last season um, in the Premier League, Arsenal would have had to change their entire way of playing just as they did when William Saliba got injured and Rob Holding came in. It's mm. not a slight on either of the players. They're just different players. And now Arsenal are in a much stronger position. You're right in the sense that the difficulty is how do they manage that now? And I think um, Raya seems like the kind of guy who will be professional about it and Ramsdale seems like the kind of guy who would be professional about it and Ramsdale's obviously been in the position where he's come in and had to fight for Bern Leno's spot and done that in the right way if you like and if Ram- if Raya were to come in then I'm sure he'd try and do things the right way as well and I guess um, from Mikel Arteta's point of view he will be viewing it as something that's great something that's good to have even more competition and he was asked about this after the Community Shield and he said I hope Aaron doesn't feel any extra pressure but everyone has to have competition. And he even referenced himself saying, I've got to have competition because there are lots of managers who would want to come after my job. And I think the goalkeeping position is such an unusual one because it's not like any other position where, let's say, um, if Arsenal were to bring in another centre-forward to compete with Gabriel Jesus tomorrow, you could maybe give Jesus the first hour of a game and then uh, the new centre-forward the second half, the half hour of the game. You can't do that with a goalkeeper. It's, It's 90 minutes or bust. There's no sort of rotation, really. And... Obviously, the Champions League means that hypothetically you could have a Champions League and Cup goalie and then a Premier League goalie, as, as some teams have done in the past and Arsenal have done in the past. But even still, there's going to be someone who's unhappy with not playing week in, week out. But this season, at least, it does look very exciting. And you're right in the sense that if Arsenal want to win the league this season and let's say something were to happen to one of those two goalkeepers, they're now in a position where they don't have to change their style of play at all because they've got two goalkeepers who are incredibly blessed with their feet at the back so yeah it's a definite position of strength for Arsenal the difficulty is how will they manage the two sort of the egos of the two players and, and make sure that they're both sort of competing and both feel like they're part of the squad because Arteta has spoken in the past about having large numbers that are unsustainable having two high quality goalkeepers in my opinion is unsustainable as well so one of them you would think will leave next summer if, if sort of an established number one gets formed mm. over the course of the season so that's up to Arteta to manage it but I'm sure he's looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, gloves are on or off. I don't know how you would say that when it comes to goalkeepers. The gloves are on in an off sense. Uh, we'll see how they go. I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, aspect to this season. Uh, and I think it's also one where I think, you know, the manager has to handle it well. He has to handle it carefully. You, you could make a mistake with one of these guys and, and not necessarily burn your bridges, but, you know, you, you do have to manage situations like this uh, particularly well. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Let's move on to defence. And you mentioned William Saliba and the fact that he was injured at the end of last season and Rob Holding came in and it had an impact. It had an impact on how we played. It had an impact on how we defended. And 
I'm not saying that's the only thing that that cost us the title, but it was one of the factors in the end of season uh, troubles that we had, which led to you know some poor results and Manchester City overtaking us for the title. It feels very much like Mikel Arteta's business, or you know, I, I say Mikel Arteta, but obviously there's uh, more people involved. Mikel Arteta, Edu, the transfer team, you know, the people who sit down and strategize and think about what they need, have gone out and done business, which will ensure or should ensure that that kind of situation doesn't happen again. There was, of course, the double whammy with Tommy Asu. Uh, and that had a big impact as well. But but the way I'm looking at the defence right now is we've got, on the right-hand side, and this is going to sound a bit weird because uh, Jurian Timber has played on the left for most of preseason, but I'm guessing that you know when everybody's fit. On that right-hand side, you've got a little trio, a little uh, triangle of White, Saliba, and Timber. All three can play centre-half. White and Timber can play right-back. Then on the other side, you've got Gabriel, Kivior, and Zinchenko. And again, um, Kivior can play centre-half. He can also play at left-back, as we've seen. Zinchenko is the left-back in inverted commas. Uh, and then on top of that, you have Takahiro Tomiyasu, who's like our defensive Swiss army knife. He can play in any one of those positions, in both centre-half positions, right-back and left-back, as we've seen. And... Uh, and that's not even mentioning Kieran Tierney and Rob Holding who are still at the club at the time of, of recording. So I really feel like they have addressed the quality slash depth issue in a, in a very, very effective way. Uh, Kivior in January and now uh, Timber in, in this window. And to my to the best of my recollection anyway, it feels as strong a group of defenders as we have had in a long time. I remember a few years ago where I can't remember who I was doing a podcast. I think I was doing a thing on, on BBC five radio five and Rory Smith was on it. And Rory Smith dropped a bit of a bombshell when we were talking about Arsenal's defenders. He said, yeah, uh, Arsene Wenger actually sees Nacho Monreal as the third center half this season. I was thinking, what the, you know, I, I love Nacho, no slight on him, but it demonstrates how far we've come when you look at the quality and depth of options that Arsenal have in defensive positions. It's uh, it, it's really it feels really solid. Yeah, I think I remember that season you might you might have been talking about. Um, I feel like it's thirteen fourteen where it was just Mertesacker, Kashani, and Vermaelen, and then yeah. the other one was going to be Monreal. And, that's it. Yeah, right, yeah, that's that was, it. Yeah, that was stressful because you're thinking, <laughs> oh god, what if something happens to to one of these guys? And listen, I. It would still be terrible for Arsenal to lose William Saliba, don't get me wrong. He kept Erling Haaland quiet uh, to the extent that Erling Haaland's dad had to go out to bat for him on Twitter after the game in the Community Shield. <laughs> but now it's not as catastrophic if Arsenal lose William Saliba because, as we've seen in preseason, Ben White can tuck in there, Tommy Asu can tuck in there. Um, the option of playing Kibio at right centre-back is there as well. So, yeah, you're right. This is the strongest defence I can think of in a long time to the extent that we're probably thinking, oh, we, we could we could lose Kieran Tierney or Takira Tomiyasu, which just over a year ago would have been blasphemy to even suggest. Now Arsenal are in such a position via such smart and, uh, I guess, able recruitment that they've got themselves into an area where they're able to now start to think about which defenders they could do without rather than which defenders they absolutely need and, and can't sort of um, be replaced. So... Mm -hmm. 
I think from Arteta's point of view, what he'll be most happy about is, as the same thing with the goalkeepers as well, stylistically, he doesn't have to change his way of play if one of those guys comes in. So mm. let's say Gabriel uh, misses a couple of games, Jakub Kivio comes in, nothing really changes. Same as we've seen in pre-season, where Zinchenko has been out injured. Last season, when Zinchenko was out injured, Tommy Asso and Tierney both came in and did their best, but they can't replicate it. Urien Timber's come in, nothing really changes. If uh, right back Ben White would get injured, you're in Timber would flip over to the right hand side. Nothing really changes. So he's got his plan A, and then he'll say plan A one, two, three, etc. He won't go plan A, B, C. But in terms of making that defined style of play so sort of bulletproof that no amount of injuries can really, um, I mean, I'm not tempting fate by saying no sure. amount of injuries, but you know, a realistic amount of injuries can't cause it too many problems. So suddenly you've got yourself yourself in a position where you don't have to change your style of play. And um, we always have to look to Manchester City when it comes to this Arsenal project as a comparison. And that's kind of the position they're in, where a lot of their centre-backs and defenders are very similar players and can all play anywhere across the back line. Even Carl Walker has played a left-back on occasion for Manchester City when they've needed it. So there's definitely options there. There's definitely strength and depth there, particularly in the defence. And Arteta yeah. has referenced that in pre-season. He referenced it after the MLS All-Stars game. I think he's pretty happy with with his defenders. So, yeah, very, very strong group of players. Yeah, I, I would not be keen to lose Tommy Asu, by the way, even if, right. you know, perhaps his playing time might be limited. I just think the versatility he has would be really useful if we are in, in a position where a couple of injuries kick in and, and we've got to do that. And versatility, of course, is a sort of a byword um, for Mikel Arteta and the players that he's brought in, uh, which brings us you know, to midfield. Again, really strong in terms of options. So you've got Thomas Partey at the base of the midfield right now, but you've also got Jorginho. You've also got Mohamed Elneny as a kind of backup there. Um, then you've a hundred million pound Declan Rice, who I think is probably in the long term going to play deeper, but for now is playing in the eight. There's Kai Havertz, there's Martin Odegaard, there's Fabio Vieira, there's Emile Smith Rowe, uh, and that's not mentioning Albert Sambi Lukonga, who's probably going to go, but you know another option uh, available to us right now quite how he's going to use all those options and in what way we're not sure I suspect it's something that will develop over the course of a season we might see something emerge um I did think it was interesting when Arteta talked about being open to the idea of seeing how certain relationships develop over time when you guys come in like Rice like Havertz uh that you know, his ideas might change based on, you know, what happens on the training ground or what happens in certain matches. And even someone like Leandro Trossard can play in that that sort of eight position uh, and has done a little bit as well. So depth, quality, replete with options, and it it allows Arteta to implement that idea of, of tactical flexibility that he's talked about, being more unpredictable with team selections, because... You know, if you watch Arsenal closely, for the most part over the last number of years, you could probably pick the team that starts on Saturday, week in, week out, week in, week out. And I think he wants to move away from that a little bit. And we'll talk and touch on that a little bit more. But what, what's your what's your take on midfield? Yeah, I get nervous talking this positively this this <laughs> long about about how everything looks. But the midfield looks really good as well. And again, it's to the point where you're starting to think. There's so many talented players in there. How will he get them all minutes? That's the the main issue because in terms of options, again, um, last season, 
first half of the campaign, when Thomas Partey got injured, we were all very concerned because Mohamed Elneny is a good player, mm-hmm. but he can't do what Thomas Partey can do. Jorginho comes in in January, replicates it to an extent that by the end of the season, we're all discussing, oh, do we actually need Thomas Partey in the squad even? And some people were open to, to letting him leave this summer. I think maybe the, the sentiment on that has, has, has cooled a little, but Declan Rice can obviously play there, as, as you mentioned. And um, in that left eight position, now Arsenal are in a position where before it was sort of when Granit Xhaka wasn't in the team, it was a real concern. Whereas now it might be Declan Rice, it might be Kai Havertz, it might be Emil Smith-Rowe. And obviously Martin Odegaard has, has sort of got the, the right eight on lock, if you like. And Fabio Vieira is a, a decent bit of competition for him. So, yeah, the midfield does look very, very strong. And again, you, you, you spoke there what Arteta has been saying about um, wanting to be more unpredictable. And he wants his Arsenal side to be more difficult for the opposition to 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 predict and to, to know what they're going to do. And we've gone from a position, like you say, where I, I do a predicted lineup article every game for Football London. Um, and sometimes they can be very tedious because it's Aaron Ramsdale in goal, Ben White right back, William Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko. <laughs> Partey, Xhaka, Erdegaard, Saka, Marcelli, Jesus. We all knew the lineup. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a difficult one to do. Now it's very difficult. And while that means I might have to focus a bit more while I'm doing my predicted lineups, that's a price I'm willing to pay because I think it makes Arsenal a much more difficult opponent to face for the opposition. And sure. when we played Man City um, on uh, Sunday in the Community Shield, no one knew how Arsenal were going to line up up front. Would it be Trossard? Would it be Eddie? I'm sorry, we'll get onto the, the forward line in a second. I don't want to yeah, preempt yeah. it too much. But in midfield, again, we didn't know how Arsenal were going to line up. Would it be Rice in the sixth? Would it be um, Havertz as an eight or something like that? We didn't know. There's so many different options that, that are there. I mean, is one of the challenges of this season ahead, before we get onto the forward line, is one of the challenges of this season Arteta himself expanding his horizons, if that's the right way to put it, because I think where he has been successful has been with a relatively small group of players with a consistency of team selection. And I think we all recognize that to develop and to continue their progression and to continue the trajectory that we're on, that has to change. Because you can't keep doing it because, you know, ultimately you will become predictable. People will know who you're picking because they'll read your article in Football London. <laughs> and, you know, uh, all the opposition managers, that'll be their first thing on a Saturday morning. What, what's the team? Kai has told us the team. <laughs> um, but, you know, th- that is that is going to have to uh, be something that he has to lean into now he's it's something he wants to do obviously it's something he's talked about it's something he's uh, uh, talked about needing greater depth and more quality and the amount of players he said i need 22 or 24 players in may all fit and fighting and that's you know great but you've also got to then trust those players and think about your team selections and be willing to make changes that when you are for example away from home on a Wednesday in the Champions League and you're facing, I don't know, a lower to mid-table team in the Premier League, you've got to be able to say, okay, maybe Martin Odegaard sits this one out and Fabio Vieira plays. Or maybe um, it's a game for Jorginho in midfield. Or maybe it's a game for another up front. You know what I mean? You've got to be able to say, uh, or got to be able to use your squad. You know, these these this depth that we talked about at, at the back. Uh, it's great to have partnerships, but you've got to be able to 
manage the minutes of these players so that over the course of the season you get the most out of them between August and May and you don't run out of steam, you don't run out of players. This is going to be, I think, the biggest challenge for Mikel Arteta. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we've been able to find a sort of challenge to talk about because I was getting, like I said, nervous talking about all the positivity. Now I can find <laughs> a, an anxious spin to put on things. But yeah, and when it comes to Arteta, you, you spoke earlier about how his successful periods have come when... Um, Arsenal have had a very defined lineup. Also, when, when you're in that lineup as a player, it's great. But there are lots of um, people you speak to who may be close to players who have not been within the camp and mm. they maybe don't feel as part of things as, as maybe they could or probably should. And if you look at the way some of the, the fringe players' form has dipped, obviously there are some certain fringe players who respond really well to it. So Reese Nelson is an example where hardly got any minutes until uh, the Bournemouth game. Obviously got his, his little spell against Forest, but didn't really get many minutes after that. Comes in at the Bournemouth game and then goes on to have a relatively big impact on Arsenal for the, the remainder of the season. But for every Reese Nelson, there's a, a Fabio Vieira and Albert Sambi Laconga who having been on the outskirts of things and not really trusted by Arteta and, and very clearly not trusted by Arteta, you start to get the feeling that maybe those guys don't feel as though they're important. And then when mm. it comes time to rely on them, particularly with Lekonga, for example, when uh, when Arsenal were chasing the Champions League a couple of years ago and and Sambi had barely had any minutes. I know there weren't many minutes where maybe he could have played and cup competitions weren't as readily available and there weren't many minutes in the Premier League to go around, but it's on Arteta to be ready for that and to know that he's got to use his squad. And it's not something he's really had to do. It's not something that, particularly when you're not in the Europa League, where you can't just have a Europa League 11 and a Champions League 11, mm. it's something that's going to be very difficult for him to do. And I'm sure if you were to ask him about it, he'd say, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that as a challenge. But it is a big question mark over him as to how he manages a big squad of players who are all at a very high level. I think the probably the best example of how he's going to do it and how successfully he can do it is how he's managed, for example, Leandro Trossard and Gabriel Martinelli, both going for that left wing spot. Two players who I think if one of them were starting, one of them were on the bench tomorrow, none of us would really have any issue if, you know, if you were to flip it. So let's say Forrest Trossard starts on the left, Martinelli's on the bench, we're all fine and vice versa. So I think he's managed that pretty well. Similar with the Jorginho Partey, a lot of the January signings that came in, even Kivior coming in, he's managed those pretty well. So I get the feeling there's a little bit of evidence to suggest he can do it. But like I say, for each of those pieces of evidence, there are players like Laconga, like Vieira, who's tailed off in confidence, although it's looked a little bit better in pre-season, in fairness to him. But there are plenty of players who maybe suggest that, you know, when they're not fully included, when they're not fully a part of the group, it's difficult, especially when you may need to rely on them later in the season. So you're right, that is a big test that faces Mikel Arteta this season. And um, it's one that could be crucial because the reality is, as much as he wants those 22-24 players fit come May, it's very rare you get that. Very, very rare, particularly for Arsenal. Yeah. So I think it's something he'll have to get used to and something he'll have to hopefully get better at over time. But I think there's there's some evidence, some brief evidence to suggest he may get better at it. What is your sense of how the forward options at Arsenal are perceived by Arsenal fans? Because I think this is really interesting because you, you mentioned Trossard and Martinelli on the left. You could also put Emile Smith-Rowe out there. You could also put Reese Nelson out there. And that's where he's played quite a lot when he has got minutes. A lot of those minutes have been on the left. In the centre uh, forward position, 
you know, Gabriel Jesus is, is the number one. We know he's injured for a couple of weeks. Uh, fingers crossed it doesn't appear to be quite as bad as people had expected, so he could be back sooner rather than later. But you've got Jesus. We saw in the Community Shield he used Kai Havertz there. Eddie Nketiah is an option. Trossard is an option, um, who's played in that false nine. I'm not really including Flo Balagoon because I think his departure at this point feels pretty much inevitable. The injury he had during preseason meant he couldn't really do much to impress or to 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 sort of push himself into the thinking. On the right-hand side, you've got Saka. Nelson could play there. Martinelli has played there, although not recently. Havertz has played there quite a lot in his career, so he is he is another option. But my perception is that there's still a bit of a bit of a desire for something else, whether it is a backup for Saka. And I think that's really difficult. I think that's much more difficult than people think. You know, I like everybody. I share the concerns like, oh God, he plays every game and he's going to just, you know, break down at some point. I share those concerns like most people. But I also think that when you have an extraordinary talent in your team, they tend to play most of your games and most of your minutes and you're restricted realistically about who you can have as a backup in that position because anyone you try and sign is going, where do you want me to play? Uh, Right-hand side? Uh, Yeah, that's where Bakayo Saka plays. Yeah, I'm not going to play too much there. So it makes it difficult to recruit somebody, you know, of the level that you might require. So on the one hand, you can say, we should have some backup for Saka that is, you know, competent or at the right level. But on the other hand, you know, how do you convince somebody to come in and, and, and play there? Um, but I, you know, I, I've seen Arsenal try and buy wingers in the last few windows. There's been links to, to various players. I do wonder if that is something that they still might want, albeit, um, predicated on getting some players out and getting some money in and, and making some space in the squad. So are, are you happy with the options that Arsenal have up front? Do you think there's room for something else? Even even Havertz, even if you know he didn't do great against or do great for Chelsea in that number nine position, does give you, even in terms of how you might shape up late in a game, a different kind of option in the nine? Yeah, the way I view the the forward position and the potential acquisition there is sort of a cherry on the top kind of signing, where this Arsenal squad is is, is already in a position where I think they're definitely ready to challenge for the title and, and in the Champions League as well. I think they've got the depth to do it, and I think they've they've shown that over the past season, and, and the addition of Havertz does certainly help that. Um, but you're right, if there was one area in the squad where you probably are now looking, you're thinking, wow, if we could have carte blanche and we could have our dream Arsenal squad, where would we like to strengthen? It's probably the forward positions. And you mentioned a backup directly for Bukayo Saka. I'm sure if Arsenal are looking at a player, well, they they are, you know, they're not done in the transfer market when it comes to incomings. But like we say, it's all sort of if, buts and maybes and depending on outgoings and incomings and, you know, various transfer window domino effects. But I think it wouldn't be necessarily an out-and-out right winger who can only play on the right wing. It would be someone who'd come in and could play anywhere across that front line, which would be good for Arteta because he'd have lots of different options. And yeah, I think certainly there is a concern in a way that maybe in the midfield and defence, we're not as concerned, let's say, you know, as we've referenced already, if, if Arsenal lose Saliba, we're not worried as much as we were before. If Arsenal lose Partey, we're not worried as much as we were before. But if Arsenal lose Saka, then there is a big concern because Reese Nelson could come in and play that position. And I love Reese; I think he's a good player, but he's very different to Bukayo Saka. If you put Habert in that position, 
different. Trossard, even in that position, you know, despite not really having a weak foot, is a different kind of player to Bukayo Saka. So you lose something. And, and plan A, as we spoke about earlier in the podcast, does change. So, yes, I think... I understand why people are concerned. I think maybe the concerns are a bit overblown. I think when people are saying, Arsenal need to go out and sign a, a, a forward, otherwise the season's going to be rubbish and they'll never do anything and they're going to crash out of the Champions League and they're going to come eighth and they might get lucky to visit the Conference League and hyperbolize like that. Obviously, that's a bit silly. But um, I think there's definitely scope for another player to be to be added in, into that area of the squad. I'd say there's sort of room, but I think it all has to depend on, on the outgoings, I'd say. And... Nicola Pepe is still at the club. Flo Balogun, as you mentioned before, while it does seem inevitable that he will go, he's still at the club. And those are still wages that are on the books and those are still fees that need to come in. So I think Arsenal will maybe see what they can do in terms of the outgoings before looking at an incoming. That's that's just a, a sort of a bit of an opinion rather than necessarily insider info that's definitely going to happen kind of thing. So just before people pick that up and start sort of aggregating it. But <laughs> I think it's a, it's a case of... Yes, there, there, there definitely is an appetite for um, a player to come in in the forward positions. And I agree, it would be... You'd look at the squad and think, yeah, that would that would be welcome. Um, but whether it will happen remains mm. to be seen. Or maybe it's one they wait to do until January or something like that. And they sort of see how the, the first half of the season goes. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a question that I had was, do you expect anything else? to happen and if so where might that be uh, and you've already answered that question so it might be a case that uh, something else happens in the forward line but of course as you say Pepe is there uh, Balagun is there uh, Cedric is there Laconga is there is still there we're expecting yeah. to go to Nantes very soon but he's still there so yeah 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 so there, there is a need to sort of clear the decks to an extent I mean that being said, I mean, it feels, you know, based on what we've been discussing, that we're both pretty comfortable with the squad that Arsenal are going into this season with. And that the issues that we had at the end of the previous season, where we had that game against Newcastle and then that North London derby, or it was vice versa, wasn't it? It was the derby first, then Newcastle. Um, ran out of legs, ran out of steam, ran out of options. To a lesser extent, that was true last season. I don't think that's going to be true going into this season. Even if you could make a case that in certain positions, you know, you could look for an upgrade or look for something different or whatever. I don't think we are short of, of options. So on that basis, you know, can Arsenal, even with the the business that they've got to do uh in an outgoing fashion, can they feel happy? Should Arteta and Edu feel happy about where they are with this squad going into uh, the opening game of the season against Nottingham Forest tomorrow? Definitely. Definitely. This this squad, as it stands right now, let's you know assume that David Raya is completed before the, the Nottingham Forest game, which I, I believe he will be. Um, it's definitely a Premier League challenging squad. And that's all Mikel Arteta could ask for. He could have said at the start of the window, look, we need to improve in defence. We need another midfielder and we need another sort of whatever you want to call how that's midfielder forward. You know, that's, sure. that's up for debate. But all areas of the squad that Arsenal have wanted to improve this summer, 
they've managed to do so. So the, the areas of depth, which we all knew and we could all see, it's not like the Arsenal board and hierarchy would have been unaware of that. They were very aware of it and they identified players where they wanted to go out and improve and, and get those players. And in each case, they got their guy. They didn't miss out on any of their targets. They got Declan Rice despite having competition from various other teams. Yuri and Timber had interest from elsewhere, but they got him. Kai Havertz had interest from elsewhere, but they got him. So they got the three players that they felt would be uh, good to improve the level of the squad and fourth if you want to count David Raya as well in goal so the, the squad is in a position I'd say where Mikel Arteta can't necessarily really have any complaints that <laughs> he hasn't sort of received the backing or anything like that he can have no complaints it's kind of over to you Mikel you know now it's now it's on to you to go and do the business because this is a really really good squad that's been built for him admittedly a squad that he's trained up in a lot of cases and you know players that maybe for example Aaron Ramsdale who few saw as a great signing but has now turned out to be a great signing but still mm. it's over to him to now go out and do that and deliver because for all the circumstances and for all the mitigating factors when it comes to crunch time thus far in his Arsenal career, yes, he won the FA Cup, but you could argue it didn't quite go to plan for the Champions League race. It didn't go to plan for the title race last season. It's now on to him to prove and deliver. And I'm not I'm not using that as criticism of him because I think we're all aware he's done a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. But there are still those question marks that he does need to, to answer. And I don't think he's necessarily got too many excuses as things stand, at least with the squad, not to answer them at the moment. Well, that's true. I mean, this is another factor that I think is going to be absolutely fascinating about this new season is that, you know, to some extent, last season, Arsenal were dark horses, if you like, that nobody really expected that level of improvement. And... I think it caught a few people by surprise, and maybe it caught a few people by surprise internally. I think, you know, I was looking at a, a top four finish. I thought that was realistic based on the progress that we made and based on the, the signings that we made last summer. I think realistically, top four was an achievable aim for Arsenal. Now, having pushed City really close in the title race, having beaten Man City in the Community Shield, and you know, look, we know Liverpool beat Man City in the Community Shield last season, and you know that was no indication of what was to come in, in terms of the Premier League, but I do think there was a, a, a psychological element to Arsenal getting that result, even if it was slightly fortuitous in the way it transpired. I think it will, it will benefit them. But there is now... a. a, a a measure of high expectation about Arsenal being tipped for the title by certain pundits, having spent the money that they spent on, on high profile players, you know, uh, international players like Rice and Havertz and Timber on top of what's already been spent on top of the progression, on top of the, um, the development of this team and the trajectory, which is going like this and this and this at a certain point, of course, you can only go so high and Arsenal still have a little way to go. But I'm not saying there was no pressure last season. That would be completely wrong. But I think that that sort of catching people by surprise thing and that momentum that we took into the early part of the season and then carried on was we came a little out of the shadows. We're not in the shadows anymore. We are very much in the spotlight. I mean, is that something that players at this level should be concerned about or is that something they would relish that we are pushing at the top of the game. This is where we want to be. We want to be the best team. We want to win the title. We want to push for the Champions League. And we understand that with that comes a certain level of of pressure. Um, it is something that we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, for sure. Um, so across the US tour and across all the preseason tour, um, when you're with a press pack, you learn to love the narrative. 
we love a narrative in the press pack. And the big <laughs> narrative was, well, the pressure's on now. What are you going to do about it? And whenever you've asked anyone, so it's not just Arteta we've been asking about that, it's players as well. Um, I remember we asked Eddie and Ketty about it in um, in Germany. We asked Martin Erdegaard about it in America. Uh, loads of players. I, I, I lose cap. We've lost a lot of them. And the same question, and almost all of their answer has, have been, that comes from outside. That's outside noise. We don't put too much pressure on ourselves internally. Um, and you'd expect them to say that because they're not going to say, oh, yeah, we're really feeling the pressure. You know, this is this is terrifying. Sure, we're going sure. for a, a Champions League and a Premier League. We've never done that before. Oh, God, what are we going to do? But I think what it does suggest is that, and if you look at the relaxed atmosphere around the group, and I know you can always read too much into body language and everyone looks like they're having a nice time when they're kicking a the football around in 30-degree heat in, you know, in DC and in, in New York. It's not too bad a life. But also, I think the vibes do seem very relaxed and, and positive and, and calm and confident around Arsenal training right now. And you don't get this, the sense that anyone's too worried about the fact that this pressure is on them. I think, for like you say, last season was something of a free hit in terms of the title race because no one saw it coming. But when you talk to people within the squad, they always say, well, we had the belief that we could do it even if anyone else didn't. So they'll always say, oh, we, we always thought we could go for the title last season. It was other, it was you lot who thought we couldn't. We never said we couldn't. Yeah, so yeah. from their perspective, they probably think, well, we had that pressure on us last season anyway. This season isn't any different. And I think you've got characters in the squad and I think Jorginho is going to be perfect for this in the sense that he, I remember, spoke about the Newcastle game and in that Newcastle game, he referenced how much he, he loved the atmosphere and he basically said, look, this is what being a professional footballer is all about. This is what we're here for. We're here for these big atmospheres and these big games and we're here to compete. And I think that's how a lot of this Arsenal squad will approach this coming season. They'll be viewing it as, well, this is kind of what our whole careers have been building up to. It's to be in the title race. It's to be in the race for the Champions League. This is what we've all dreamed of as we've grown up. So now it's here. The sort of I don't think they'll think they'll be afraid of it. It certainly is a pressure that comes from outside, but from within they probably would have been thinking that anyway. So it's certainly an interesting narrative, as I said at the start, to see how they cope with the pressure. And if Arsenal start to falter around Christmas time, I'm sure it will be Arsenal struggling with the pressure of being title contenders. Or if Arsenal have a poor start to the season, I'm sure it will be Arsenal struggling with the pressure of being title contenders, whereas last season everyone sort of underestimated them. And it probably would be a fair narrative to draw, a conclusion to draw. But it's up to Arsenal players and squad and staff now to prove that they can handle the pressure. And I think the early evidence suggests that they will be able to. Yeah, I mean, there's just such a nice mix now of of young players, young talent players who haven't reached their potential with some players who do have experience, like Jorginho. I do remember, you know, those comments he made after the Newcastle game last season where he was fucking loving it. You know, this was this was <laughs> great. And he was really good that day. And I guess it's about transmitting that, uh, experience and and teaching these younger guys how to to relish those moments. So it is all it is all very exciting. I mean, the other aspect of it, of course, is that you know Arsenal can only do what they do. There are nineteen other teams in this Premier League. Nineteen other teams with plenty of resources. Um, you know, we know there's a fairly established pecking order towards the the top of the table. So I don't want you to predict the. Uh, the uh, final outcome of the Premier League, that would be unfair. But 
you know, I'm I'm looking at Manchester City obviously as the defending champions as a team that will finish in the top four, basically the team to beat this season. I'm hopeful, obviously, that Arsenal can improve and go better and do better and, you know, get over the line. And, and you know, maybe this season on the 20th anniversary of the Invincibles winning the title, our last title uh, win, it would be, it would be nice uh, to get one under our belts again because it's been too long. Who else do you think is going to push or who else do you think is going to finish in that top four? Because we know who's going to push. We know the big teams. But who do you think are the other two that could finish in that top four? Man, that's, that's a good question. It um, is, yeah. By the so way, by the way, let me just um, fill you in. If you haven't, at the time of recording, a story just broken that Liverpool have outbid Chelsea for Moises Caicedo. Oh wow! No, so, I haven't seen that. But so there that, you go. That's changed things up slightly. It from does because I was going to put Chelsea in there, but I might not do that now. And um, um, Harry Kane, of course, uh, Tottenham yes. have accepted a bid from from Bayern. It's uh, we don't know if Kane is going to accept or not, but but that's another aspect to what's going on. I mean, just from an opinion point of view, I think Kane would be mad not to. I agree. Um, yeah, completely. Just think, you know, if you spent your whole career saying I want to win trophies, I want to achieve all these things. You know, I've got this ambition, and then. Um, the opportunity comes and you know you bottle it and you know yeah. you, what has this all been about what, why have you even bothered sort of flirting with all these clubs if you're not even gonna go but that's a, a separate story and not the question you asked me sorry um so everyone seems to forget about Newcastle in this chat and I think they have to be considered but I'm gonna go for maybe a basic answer in the sense that I think Manchester United will be in there because I do think, despite the fact I dislike a lot of their players, I think Ten Hag is a really good manager and I think he is actually doing some quite good stuff with with them and I think they're heading in the right direction and I don't think they maybe get as much scrutiny as they should do, especially given the money they spend and um, I think there should be a lot more focus on that. But I do think that they'll be in and around it maybe sort of the best of the rest kind of thing behind Arsenal Man City looking for that third place mm. and then you're looking at Chelsea who I think will be good this season even if they miss out on Caicedo I still think they'll be a good team I think Poch is a very good manager and I think they've got some good players and I know Nkunku is a big loss for them in terms of the injury And but I just think they don't have any European football to worry about we saw how much that helped Arsenal and we've seen how much that helped Leicester all those years ago um yeah, so I think they could be in and around it. But I'm going to go for Liverpool now, just having heard that. I think they are on the right path. And I think Klopp is an exceptional manager. I think they do have some exceptional players still. And if things click, then they could really be a team that, that are certainly doing well this season. I don't think they'll be challenging for the title just because I think, like Arsenal a couple of seasons ago, they lack a bit of depth and, and maybe they're struggling a bit like how Spurs have done recently from not having invested at the right time where... Arsenal have done that this summer. Mm. Um, I think Liverpool are a cautionary tale of what happens if you don't invest at the right time. But they have invested a bit in the midfield and I just think that they're on the right track under Klopp. And so, yeah, Man U third, Liverpool fourth would be my uh, prediction. But I, I look forward to coming back in May and being proved horribly wrong. All right, well, we'll do that. We'll do that. Hopefully, uh, neither of us are wrong about our aspirations for Arsenal and for the season <laughs> ahead. Uh, I look forward to reading your predicted lineup for the uh, first game of the season. We better leave it there for now, Kaya. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed to Kaya. You can find him on Twitter. He is at KayaKainak97, at KayaKainak97. And of course, predicts Arsenal's lineups for Football London, as well as some other stuff too. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. And the new season, of course, begins bright and early on Saturday. 12.30 kickoff against Nottingham Forest, a team perhaps that we... 0-1-2 after what happened at the end of last season, but a nice way on paper to kick off the new season at home. Hopefully it's a nice day, and hopefully we can get the right result. We will talk a bit more about the Nottingham Forest game, a bit more detail on that in our preview podcast, which will be available on Patreon on Friday afternoon. So please do join us for that, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Are you ready? I hope I'm ready. There's a lot to do. A new season, all the stuff that comes with it, you'll find it on arsblog.com and arsblog.news, of course. Match reports, blogs, columns, stats, player ratings, all of that kind of stuff. Basically, every bit of Arsenal coverage you could possibly want without any of the bullshit, without any of the clickbait, without any ads, by the way, so you get a a great reading experience. It's all there on the website, arsblog.com and arsblog.news. Let's keep fingers crossed for the weekend. We can get the right result, right performance, and all the rest of it. James and I will be here on Monday with the first Arscast Extra of a brand new Premier League season. Please do join us for that. In the meantime, have a great weekend, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
And as we enter the final minute of this game, Mikel Arteta is turning to his bench and Arsenal's injury crisis has been well documented over the last number of weeks. They're down to bare bones. And that is reflected in the decision to bring on Win the Dog. Gabriel Jesus traipses off. It's been a difficult day for him, but can Win get the goal that Arsenal need to win the Champions League for the first time in their history? It's Saka on crutches down the right-hand side. Plays it inside to Martin Odegaard, head to toe and a plaster cast, but he still has the craft. He's looking for movement. There's none forthcoming. Win is having a wee on the grass, but she's making a move into the penalty area. Odegaard spots her with the ball, and there it is. She snouts it home. Arsenal have won in the dying seconds. The fans have gone barking mad. It's win the Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.